Section 24 of A Year Amongst the Persians by Edward Granville Brown. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Nicholas James Bridgewater. A Year Amongst the Persians by Edward Granville Brown. Section 24. Amongst the gardens west of the city are two belonging to my host, the Nawab. The nearer of these is called Balgesheikh, and the pleasant dwellings situated therein are occupied by the English members of the telegraph staff, the superintendent and the doctor, while their Armenian colleagues dwell in the town. The further one, distant perhaps two or three miles from the city, is situated close to the river-bed, on its northern side. It is called Rashkebehesht, the envy of paradise. Two pleasant picnics in this charming spot, of which the second was brought to an untimely end, so far as I was concerned, by an event which cut short my stay at Shiraz and altered all my plans, will be spoken of presently. Having now given a general, and I hope a sufficiently clear account, of the topography of Shiraz, I shall proceed to notice some of the places above mentioned in greater detail, beginning with the tombs of Halfez and Sa'di. Both of these, together with the Baugadelgoshaw, I visited on the same day, in company with one of the Nawab servants. Though they are within an easy walk of the town, one of the Nawab's horses was placed at my disposal. It was a most beautiful animal, and the play of the muscles under its glossy skin gave token of great power, which, accompanied as it was by a display of freshness and spirit, play, as the Persians admiringly call it, was to me a source rather of anxiety than of gratification. I would greatly have preferred to walk, but it is hard to persuade a Persian that one prefers walking to riding, and I was constrained to accept an offer which was kindly intended. The tomb of Hafez occupies the centre of an enclosed garden, beautifully planted with cypresses and orange trees. It is marked by a simple oblong block of stone, engraved with inscriptions consisting for the most part of quotations from the poet's works. At the top is the following sentence in Arabic. He, i.e. God, is the enduring, and all else passeth away. Beneath this is the ode beginning Mojdeye vasle toku Kaz sarijaun barchizam Tau ere kudsam Va az daume jahaun barchizam Where is the good tidings of union with thee? For I will rise up with my whole heart. I am a bird of paradise 
and I will soar upwards from the snare of the world. Round the edge of the stone is inscribed the ode beginning Adel, Olam Shah Jahan Bash, O Shah Bash, Pevaste Dar Himoyati Lotfi Elah Bash. O heart, be the slave of the king of the world, and be a king. Abide continually under the protection of God's favour. Written diagonally across the two triangular spaces formed by the upper corners of the tombstone is the couplet Bar Saritorbatimo Chungozari Hematho Keziorat Gaherindone Jahan Khalhadshod. When thou passest by the head of our tomb, invoke a blessing for it will be the place of pilgrimage of all the libertines of the world. The corresponding spaces at the lower end of the tablet bear the well-known lines composed to commemorate the date of the poet's death. Chiroge ahli ma'nao khawje hafez Kisham ibud as nure tajallaw Chudar Khalkimusallaw Sacht Manzel Beju Taurikash as Khalkimusallaw That lamp of the mystics, Master Hafez, who was a candle of light from the divine effulgence, since he made his abode in the earth of Musallaw, seek his date from the earth of Musallaw. Only the first and last of these four lines are given on the tombstone, the intermediate ones having probably been omitted for lack of space. Each letter of the Arabic alphabet has a numerical value, these values ranging through the units, tens and hundreds, to one thousand. And the words, Chalke Mosallaw, Earth of Mosallaw, are numerically equivalent to AH 791, that is, AD 1389. The unequalled popularity still enjoyed by Hafez is attested by the multitude of graves which surround his tomb. What Persian indeed would not desire that his ashes should mingle with those of the illustrious bard from whom contemporary fanaticism would fain have withheld the very rites of sepulture more remote from the city and marked by a much humbler edifice lies the grave of sa'di popular and deservedly popular as his golistan and bustan are alike for the purity of style richness of diction variety of matter and sententious wisdom which characterize them in persia itself his divan is probably more widely read and more highly esteemed indeed it may be questioned whether in his own country his odes are not as much admired as ardently studied and as often quoted as those of Hafez. But over his memory lies a shadow sufficient to account for the fact that few, if any, of his countrymen have cared to share his last resting place, 
and that his grave stands alone in the little enclosure sa'di it is generally believed was a sunni and whether it be true as some of his admirers assert that in professing this form of belief he merely practised the concealment of his real convictions katman authorised by shiite clerics whenever considerations of personal safety appear to require it the suspicion that he was really an adherent of this sect so odious to every shiite persian was sufficiently strong to impel a fanatical mujtahed of shiraz to destroy the tombstone originally erected over the poet's grave the present stone was set up at the expense and by the orders of the Qevam, the father of the present saheb divan it bears the same arabic inscription testifying to the transitoriness of all things but god as that which is engraved on the tomb of hafez below this are engraved the opening lines of that canto of the bustan written in praise of the prophet at the hafeziyeh i had been unable to see the copy of the poet's works kept there for purposes of divination and augury as the guardian of the shrine motavalli was engaged in performing his devotions at the sa'diyeh i was more fortunate the motavalli was disengaged and readily produced the manuscript of the complete works kolliyat of the poet it is very well written and beautifully ornamented but not old for it dates only to the reign of karim khan the zand circa a d seventeen seventy twelve pages which had been destroyed or lost have been replaced by the skilful hand of mirza farhang the poet the garden of delgoshal whither i proceeded on leaving the sa'diyeh is very beautiful with its tanks of clear water avenues of orange trees and variety of flowers the gardener brought me a present of wallflowers and i entered into conversation with him he said that the saheb divan to whom it had belonged had been passionately attached to it and that the thought of abandoning it to strangers who might neglect it or injure its beauty had added the sharpest sting to the humiliation of his dismissal that the saheb divan was a bad administrator i have no doubt but he was not cruel and this love for his garden appears to me a pleasing trait in his character indeed one cannot help pitying the old man dismissed from the office he had so long held and recalled from his beloved shiraz to the capital to meet the doubtful mood of a despot while the name he left behind him served as the butt whereon the poetaster and the satirist might exercise their wit till such time as a new object of scorn and derision should present itself for it is not only the graceful and melodious lays of halfez sa'di 
or Qa'auni, which accompanied by the soft strains of the setar and the monotonous beat of the dombak, delight the joyous revellers who drink the wine of Khullar under the roses bordering some murmuring streamlet. Interspersed with these are rhymes which, if less lofty, seldom fail to awaken the applause of the listeners. We are apt to think of the Persians as an entirely sedate, grave, and almost melancholy people, philosophers, often pessimist, seldom mirthful. Such a type does indeed exist, and exists in plenty, yet amongst all Orientals the Persians are perhaps those whose idea of humour most nearly approaches our own, those in whom the sense of the ludicrous is most highly developed. One is amazed at the ready repartees, brilliant sallies of wit, bon mots, and the chaff which fly about on all sides in a convivial gathering of Persian literary men. Chaff, the reader may exclaim, is it possible that the compatriots of Omar Khayyam can condescend to chaff? Not only is it possible, but very far from unusual. More than this, there is a very rich vocabulary of slang, of which the existence would hardly be suspected by the student of Persian literature. This is not all. The Persians have a multitude of songs, ephemeral of course, and not to be bought in the bookshops, which, if they are not comic, are most decidedly topical these compositions are called tasnif and their authors for the most part modestly perhaps wisely prefer to remain anonymous in such lampoons in words devoid of ambiguity and with a frankness bordering on brutality were the faults and failings of the sahib divan held up to ridicule and obloquy I only remember a few lines of one of the most popular of these songs. They ran as follows. Del goshaura socht, zero sorsorak. Del goshaura socht, bauchubo falak. Heife del goshau, heife del goshau. He made del goshau under the slide. The slide, sorsorak, is a smooth incline on the hillside to the east of the Tange Alaho Akbar above the garden of Delgoshao. He made Delgoshao with the sticks and pole. The sticks and pole, i.e., the bastinado, the pole in question is employed to retain the ankles of the culprit during the infliction of the punishment. It is simple in construction, consisting merely of a straight piece of wood pierced towards the middle by two holes a short distance apart, through which is passed a loop of rope. This loop, thrown round the ankles of the victim and made taut by a few turns, renders flinching impossible. Alas for Del Gauchal! Alas for Del Gauchal! From all that I have said, it will be sufficiently evident that the Saheb Divan was extremely unpopular with the Shirazis, 
perhaps his own misdeeds were not the sole cause of this unpopularity the memory of the black treachery of his ancestor Hauji Ebrahim Khan may be answerable to some extent for the detestation in which he was held the story of this treachery is briefly as follows on the death of Karim Khan the noble and chivalrous prince of the Zand dynasty and the succession of the no less noble no less chivalrous but far more unfortunate lutf ali khan hauji ebrahim khan was retained by the latter in the influential position which he had previously occupied so far from suspecting that one attached to him and his family by every bond of gratitude could meditate his betrayal lutf ali khan reposed the fullest confidence in his unworthy minister and entrusted to him those powers which rendered possible an act of infamy as hateful as the tyrant in whose service it was done the fortune of the zand was already on the decline already the tide of battle had turned against him and shiraz had awakened from a dream of happiness to find the Qajar bloodhounds baying beneath her walls then hauji ebrahim khan conceived the diabolical idea of securing his own safety and wealth by selling his kind master to a foe as implacable as he was cruel as mean in spirit as he was hideous in aspect Alga muhammad khan readily accepted the traitor's services promising in return for these that so long as he lived ebrahim khan should be honoured and protected so one night the gates of shiraz were opened to the usurper and it was only by heroic efforts that lutf ali khan succeeded in escaping for the time from his cruel enemy and cutting his way through all who sought to bar his progress fled eastwards towards kerman Alga muhammad khan kept his word to the letter so long as he lived Hauji Ebrahim Khan was loaded with favours. But when the tyrant felt his last hour approaching, he called to his side his successor, Fat Ali Shah, and addressed him in words to this effect As soon as I am dead, and you are established on the throne which I have won, let your first act be to extirpate root and branch the family of hauji ebrahim khan i swore to him that as a reward for his treachery i would protect and honour him as long as i lived this oath i have faithfully kept but when i am dead it will be no longer binding 
therefore i counsel you to be rid of the traitor and all his brood for one who did not scruple to betray a master who had sworn him nothing but kindness will certainly not hesitate to do the same again should opportunity offer let not one of that accursed family remain for truly has the poet said Aqibat gorgzade gorg shavad, garchibau aldami bozorg shavad. At length the wolf cub will become a wolf, even though it grow up amongst men. Let no compunction stay your hand, let no false clemency tempt you to disobey my dying injunctions. Fat Ali Shaw had no sooner mounted the throne than he proceeded to execute the last behest of his predecessor. From all parts of the empire, the descendants of the traitor to whom the new king owed his undisputed supremacy were sought out. Perhaps, when he had in some measure slaked his thirst for blood, Fat Ali Shaw remembered that the black skin which he was now visiting on the innocent progeny of the criminal had after all been perpetrated in his interests and for the consolidation of his power at any rate he so far mitigated the rigour of his instructions as to spare some few of the doomed family after they had been deprived of their eyesight and otherwise mutilated only one whose tender years moved the compassion of the executioners escaped unharmed that one was the father of the saheb divan can we wonder if when such punishment was meted out to the offspring of the traitor by the tyrant whom he served hatred should be the portion of his descendants from the city which he betrayed so much for the saheb divan we must now return to shiraz and its environs the garden of haft tan i visited with my armenian friend it is a pleasant secluded spot well fitted to calm the spirits and elevate the thoughts of the dervishes who dwell within its shady precincts the presence of a large and savage-looking dog which rushed at us with loud barkings as soon as we entered the gate somewhat marred this impression of quietude at first it was however soon secured by one of the dervishes we sat for a while by the seven graves from which the place takes its name and drank tea which was brought to us by the kindly inmates a venerable old dervish entered into conversation with us and even walked with us as far as the gate of the city he was one of those dervishes who inspire one with respect for a name which serves but too often to shelter idleness sloth and even vice too often it is the case that the traveller judging only by the opium-eating hashish-smoking mendicant who with matted hair glassy eyes and harsh raucous voice importunes the passers-by for alms condemns all dervishes as a blemish and a bane to their country yet in truth 
this is far from being a correct view nowhere are men to be met with so enlightened so intelligent so tolerant so well informed and so simple-minded as amongst the ranks of the dervishes the only other object of interest outside the city which demands any detailed notice is the chauhe murtaza ali for the gardens not described above beautiful as they are possess no features so distinctive as to render description necessary the chauhe murtaza ali ali's well is situated about half a mile to the northeast of the kahbareya div on the summit of the hills east of the tange allahu akbar a building of considerable size inhabited by the custodian of the shrine and his family surmounts the well which is reached by descending a very slippery stone staircase of 19 steps this staircase opens out of a large room where visitors can rest and smoke a qalyan above the archway which surmounts it are inscriptions in arabic and persian of no very ancient date halfway down the rocky stair is a wider space which forms a sort of landing at the bottom is a small cave or grotto wherein is a little well such as one often sees by english roadsides into the basin of which water continually drips from the rock above opposite this a tablet shaped like the tombstones seen in old churchyards is carved on the wall in the centre of this is a rude design which appears to be intended for a flower growing in a flower pot on either side of this are two lines in arabic but these are so effaced by time and the touches of visitors to the shrine that they are almost illegible in front of this tablet is a place for votive candles which are brought hither by the devout we were not allowed much time for examining the place the guardian of the shrine continually calling out to us from above that the air was bad and would do us an injury which indeed was possibly true for it seemed to me to be loaded with carbonic acid and other stifling gases having ascended again to the room above we stayed a while to smoke a qalyan and talk to the custodian he knew little about the age or history of the place only asserting that in ancient days it had been a fire temple but that in the days of muhammad the fire had been forever quenched by a miraculous bursting forth of the water from the well I have now described all the more interesting places outside the city which I visited. It remains to say something of those situated within its walls. There are several fine mosques, the most celebrated of which is Shah Chirag, but to these I was not able to gain access, and of them I cannot therefore speak. The narrow tortuous streets differ in no wise from those of other persian towns but the bazaar demands a few words of notice it was built by karim khan the zand and though not very extensive is wide lofty and well constructed as regards the wares exposed for sale in its shops 
the long muzzle-loading guns manufactured in the city which primitive as they may appear to a european are capable of doing wonders in the hands of the persian marksmen chiefly attract the notice of the stranger the bookshops are few in number and the books which they contain are brought for the most part from tehran there being no printing press in shiraz indeed so far as i know the only presses in persia are at tehran esfahan and tabriz all or nearly all the european wares sold in shiraz are as one would expect of english manufacture the sale of these is chiefly in the hands of the armenian and zoroastrian merchants who inhabit the karavan saroy rogani and the karavan saroy moshir in the shop of one of the armenian traders i observed english guns ammunition tennis shoes tobacco preserves potted meats writing materials notebooks an indian sun helmet and a musical box articles which would be vainly sought for in tehran where nearly all if not all the european goods come from russia the number of zoroastrians in shiraz does not exceed a dozen they are all merchants and all natives of yazd or kerman to one of them named mehraban a yazdi i paid one or two visits on the occasion of my first visit he informed me with delight that he was expecting a parsi from bombay in a few days and expressed a hope that i would come and see him a fortnight later as i was passing near the caravanserai i heard the expected guest had arrived and turned aside to mehraban's shop to see him at first sight i took him for a european for he wore english clothes and on his head a cloth cap of the kind known as deer stalkers our conversation was conducted in english which he spoke well much better than persian in which at any rate colloquially he was far from proficient having learned to pronounce it after the fashion prevalent in india i found that he was on his way to europe which he had already visited on a previous occasion and that he had chosen the overland route through persia because he desired to behold the ancient home of his ancestors i asked him how he liked it not at all he replied i think it is a horrible country no railways no hotels no places of amusement nothing i have only been in shiraz a couple of days and i am tired of it already and mean to leave it in a day or two more i think it is a beautiful place i answered and though i have been here more than a fortnight i am in no wise wearied of its charms and have not begun to think of quitting it yet beautiful he exclaimed you cannot surely mean that you admire it what can you find to like in it you who have seen london and paris who have been accustomed to civilized countries perhaps that is just the reason why i do like it i answered for one just gets the least bit tired of civilized countries after a while they are all so much alike 
here everything is delightfully novel and refreshing of course you will go to yazd to see your co-religionists there not i he replied i shall go straight to tehran as fast as i can only stopping a day or two in isfahan on the way my sole desire is to get out of this country as soon as i can into one where there are railways and other appliances of civilization as for my co-religionists i have no particular wish to see more of them than i have done at present i suppose they are all like this man pointing to his host who stood by smiling unconscious of the purport of his guest's remarks little better than savages well i said mentally contrasting the ingratitude of this admirer of civilization with the humble but cordial hospitality of the host whom he affected to despise i am not a zoroastrian yet i intend to visit yazd before i leave persia expressly to see your co-religionists there and i wonder that you too do not wish to acquaint yourself with their condition i then bade farewell to my parsi friend and his host but i fell in with the former again on his journey northwards as will be set forth in its proper place the sahib divan had quitted shiraz before the feast of the nowruz the new governor prince ehtishamuddole the son of farhad mirza whom i had already seen at tehran did not enter the city till the thirteenth day after it this circumstance was for me very fortunate since it enabled me not only to witness the ceremonies attendant on his entry but also to visit the citadel arg during his absence the entry of the new governor into the city was a very fine sight he had been in the neighbourhood for several days but the astrologers had fixed on the thirteenth day after the no ruse as the most auspicious for his inauguration from a persian point of view it was so for as it was the universal holiday all the people were enabled to take part in the rejoicings from a european standpoint the selection seemed scarcely so happy for the day chosen was the first of april having been misinformed as to the time when the prince would arrive i was too late to see more than the entry of the procession into the great square in front of the citadel meidone arg from the lofty roof of the majestic building which now contains the telegraph offices i obtained a good view of the whole pageant the prince mounted on a handsome grey horse was surrounded by all the nobles of shiraz and the neighbourhood and preceded by a number of soldiers and couriers and a band mounted on camels while a vast crowd followed and filled the square a roar of artillery greeted his arrival causing the building on which we stood to tremble from what i heard i should fancy that the sight outside the city was even finer both sides of the road as far as the tange allahu akbar were lined with spectators while the numerous deputations came out to meet and welcome the new governor the citadel arg 
is a large and handsome pile containing a fine garden in the centre of which is a building called from the shape of its roof kolahe farangi the european's hat the interior of this is cruciform four elongated rooms opening out of the central hall in the middle of which is a fountain the lower part of the walls is composed of the beautiful marble of yazd the building is entered on either side by three steps each of which is made of a single block of stone it was in this building i believe that the bobby captives taken at neiriz were exhibited to firuz mirza then governor of shiraz these captives consisting entirely of women and little children for the men had all been slain on the spot were subsequently confined in an old caravanserai just outside the esfahan gate where they suffered great hardships besides being exposed as the bobby historian asserts to the brutality of the soldiers on the outer wall of the principal block of buildings is a series of bas-reliefs representing the exploits of the old heroes of ancient persia these have been gaudily coloured by order of the young prince jalaloddole some of the rooms in this block are very beautiful but several have been converted into bakehouses and the paintings on their walls blackened with smoke and dirt one very pretty room contained a portrait of the present shah painted at the beginning of his reign while the ceiling was adorned with representations of female figures on the side of the room opposite to the windows and entrance were three doors leading to the apartments beyond over each of these was inscribed a verse of poetry the first ran thus bar in austan pausban qaisarast yaki khast kaf sarnahaud sarnahaud yaki sarnahaud angah afsarnahaud at this door are laid the heads of enemies and friends on this threshold king stand sentinel one desired to wear a crown he lost his head another laid down his head and then wore a crown that is one revolts and is beheaded while another submits and is rewarded with a crown the second was as follows باشد در رحمت که خدا کرده فراز مردم سوی او چو کعبه آرند نماز چون کعبه بخانمش که آید بنیاز اینجا موگ و هندو و مسلمان بنماز may it be the door of mercy which god has opened may men pray towards it as towards the kaabe how shall i call it kaabe 
for hither come in supplication magian and hindu and musalman to pray the third ran thus indar kibad tabe abad sejdegahe khalq did asman o guft bar u pasban manam dolat bar astan u bar nahad sar yani kamine chokare in astan manam this door may it be till eternity the place of the people's reverence heaven soar and said over it i am the sentinel fortune laid down her head on its threshold as though to say i am the humble servant of this threshold several of the fireplaces in the different rooms bore appropriate verses inscribed on them two of these may serve as examples the first runs thus as bokhari mau tawriqe dusti omuhtim khishtanro as baraye ham nashinan sukhtim we have learned the way of friendship from the great we have consumed ourselves for the sake of our neighbors the second is as follows beqir az bokhari nadidim kasi except the great we have seen no one who is warm alike towards friend and foe having now attempted to depict the city of shiraz its palaces gardens shrines pleasure grounds and places of resort i must return once more to the life within its walls as i have said there was no lack of society and i enjoyed opportunities of witnessing a variety of persian entertainments as i have already described the general features of these in speaking of tehran i shall endeavour to be as concise as possible in this place merely noticing such points as were novel to me two days after my arrival at shiraz i was invited with the nawab to an entertainment given by an armenian gentleman connected with the telegraph on reaching the house soon after sunset i was cordially received by the host who introduced me to his wife and another lady relative and to his cousin whom i have already had occasion to mention more than once as the companion of my excursions the latter was about twenty-one years of age had resided for a long time in bombay where he had been connected with the press and spoke english perfectly as did my host the ladies preferred to talk persian in which language one of them was remarkably proficient reading with ease the most difficult poetry after a short while the other guests arrived these were three in number the beglerbegi a young and somewhat arrogant nobleman a friend of his less arrogant but more boisterous and a turbaned and bearded philosopher 
To the latter I was introduced as a student of metaphysics, and he at once proceeded to question me on the books I had read, the teachers with whom I had studied, and, finally, on some of those knotty problems which, long buried in oblivion in Europe, still agitate the minds and exercise the ingenuity of the Persian schoolmen. From a trying cross-examination as to my views on the primordial atom, Juz I was fortunately relieved by the entrance of two Jewish minstrels and a dancing boy who had been engaged for our entertainment. The attention of the philosopher began to wander. His eyes were fixed on the evolutions of the dancer. His hands and feet beat time to the music. Wine was offered to him and not refused. Metaphysic was exorcised by melody, and ere the dawn of departure arrived, the disciple of Aristotle and Avicenna lay helpless on the floor, incapable of utterance, insensible to reproof, and oblivious alike of dignity and decorum. It is but just to say that this was the only occasion on which I witnessed so disgraceful a sight in Shiraz. The Jewish minstrels of whom I have spoken appeared to be the favourite artists in their profession, for they were present at almost every entertainment of which music formed a part. One of the two men was noted for the hideous contortions into which he could twist his face. He was also, as I learned, an admirable mimic, and excelled especially in personating the Farangi Saheb and the Mohammedan Mullah. These representations I did not witness, the former being withheld out of respect for my feelings, and the latter reserved for very select audiences who could be trusted to observe a discreet silence. For a poor Jew would not willingly run the risk of incurring the resentment of the powerful and fanatical priests. The dancing boy cannot have been more than ten or eleven years old. When performing, he wore such raiment as is usual with acrobats, with the addition of a small close-fitting cap, from beneath which his black hair streamed in long locks, a tunic reaching halfway to the knees, and a mass of trinkets which jingled at every movement. His evolutions were characterized by agility and suppleness rather than grace, and appeared to me somewhat monotonous and at times even inelegant. I saw him for the second time at the house of Hauji Nasrullah Khan, the Il Khani. On this occasion, he superadded to his ordinary duties the function of a cup-bearer, which he performed in a somewhat novel and curious manner. Having filled the wine-glass, he took the edge of the circular foot on which it stands firmly in his teeth, and approaching each guest in turn, leaned slowly down so as to bring the wine within reach of the drinker. 
continually bending his body more and more forwards as the level of the liquid sunk lower one or two of the guests appeared particularly delighted with this manoeuvre and strove to imprint a kiss on the boy's cheek as he quickly withdrew the empty glass amongst the guests was one who had just arrived from the north with the new governor he was very conversational and his talk was almost entirely about philosophy what his views were i could not ascertain at first i was inclined to suspect he might be a bobby for he greeted me with the remark that he had been looking forward to seeing me ever since he left esfahan where he had heard a good deal about me this remark he accompanied with a look full of meaning and followed it up by asking me if i had met a young frenchman m r blank who had lately passed through persia this strengthened my suspicions for i had heard much of the gentleman in question how he had been for some while amongst the Babis in syria how he had received from their chiefs letters of introduction and recommendation and how by reason of these he had been greeted with a perfect ovation by the Babis in every persian town which he had visited i began to be afraid that some indiscretion on the part of my loquacious friend would betray my dealings with the Babis, which for many reasons i was anxious to keep secret i therefore answered guardedly that i had not met the french traveller and inquired what manner of man he was i met him several times and liked him very much he replied one or two of those present who had been listening to our conversation began to manifest signs of curiosity observing which i hastened to change the subject it was not long however before religious topics again came up and i began to think that i had mistaken my friend's opinions for now he spoke in the strangest manner alternately putting forward views quite incompatible and delighting apparently in the perplexity which his paradoxes caused me at last i asked him point-blank what his real opinions were you know very well he replied i assured him that he was mistaken and pressed him for a clearer answer well they are the same as yours he said and with this unsatisfactory reply i was forced to be content i have already alluded to the pleasant picnics in the garden of rashkebehesht to which on two occasions i accompanied the nawab the number of guests at each of these was about a dozen while at least as many servants were in attendance to cook the food lay the cloth and prepare tea and galyans on the first occasion i was awakened at half-past seven in the morning by haji safar who informed me that the nawab was already preparing to start i dressed as quickly as i could but on descending into the courtyard found that he had already gone on to receive his guests leaving his uncle haji dao'i to wait not in the best of tempers for my appearance 
I apologized meekly for my unpunctuality, excusing myself by saying that I did not know we were to start so early. Of course we are to start early, he retorted, before the sun should be high and the day grow hot. Yes, if it were summer that would be necessary, I answered, but it is hardly spring yet. I don't think it will be very hot today, I added, gazing at the cloudy sky. Well, the guests were asked for this time. The Nawab has already gone on to receive them, and the horses have been waiting for a long while. Come, let us start at once. On reaching the garden, which was situated at a distance of about two miles from the town, we found the chief guests already assembled. Amongst them were two princes, Sio Vosh Mirza and Jalaluddin Mirza, cousins to one another and descendants of Fat Ali Shah's eldest son, the Farman Farmal. The latter was accompanied by his son, a handsome boy of about fourteen. Of the remaining guests, three were brothers, belonging to a family of some consideration in Shiraz. One of them, Abul Qasim Khan, I had already met at the Nawab's. Another, Hedayatullah Khan, attracted my attention by his firm refusal to drink wine, which he appeared to regard with unqualified disapproval. I had a good deal of conversation with him subsequently, and found him both agreeable and intelligent. The eldest brother was named Khan Baba Khan. A previous acquaintance of mine, remarkable not less for his great business capacities and intimate knowledge of the country round Shiraz than for his extremely ugly countenance, which had gained for him the sobriquet of Hauji Ghul, the ogre, as one may translate it, joined us somewhat later. One of the Jewish minstrels of whom I have spoken Arzani by name, was also present, and continued during the morning to entertain us with music and song, assisted therein by Shokrullah, the blind minstrel, and occasionally by such of the guests as possessed musical talent. The rain, which had been threatening all the morning, presently descended in a steady downpour. As we watched, the dripping trees from the shelter of the summer-house where we were seated, I expressed regret that the weather should be so bad. Bad? was the answer I received. Why, it is beautiful weather, just the day one would wish, a real spring day. I found it difficult at first to understand this view, which was evidently shared by all present except myself. The fact is that in Persia, where during the summer hardly a drop of rain descends to moisten the parched earth, the welcome showers of spring, on which the abundance of the crops, and consequently the welfare of all classes, so entirely depends, are regarded with a genuine delight and admiration which we can scarcely comprehend. There is nothing which a Persian enjoys more than to sit sipping his wine under the shelter of a summer-house, while he gazes on the falling raindrops, 
and sniffs up the moist soft air laden with the grateful scent of the reviving flowers after lunch which was served about midday the room was darkened by lowering a great curtain suspended outside the windows and most of the guests composed themselves to sleep about three p m they began to rouse themselves tea and pipes were brought and conversation and music recommenced till about sunset the rain having ceased we mounted our horses and wended our way back to the city it will be seen that i had plenty of amusement during my stay at shiraz and that of a varied character to have described all the social gatherings wherein i took a part would have been wearisome to the reader and i have therefore selected as specimens only those which were typical of a class or marked by special features of interest neither was i limited to persian society the chief of the telegraph as well as the medical officer attached to that department had left shiraz on a visit of inspection the day after my arrival so that i had only met them once on the morning of their departure but with the rest of the telegraph staff several of whom were married i spent many pleasant hours and often enjoyed a game of tennis with them in the garden where they dwelt hitherto i have spoken only of the lighter aspect of persian life in shiraz of social gatherings where wine and music dance and song beguiled away the soft spring days or the moonlit nights it is time that i should turn to other memories gatherings where no wine flowed and no music sounded where grave faces illumined with the light of inward conviction and eyes gleaming with unquenchable faith surrounded me where the strains of the rebeck were replaced by low earnest tones speaking of god of the new light of pains resolutely endured and of triumph confidently expected the memory of those assemblies can never fade from my mind the recollection of those faces and those tones no time can efface i have gazed with awe on the workings of a mighty spirit and i marvel whereunto it tends o people of the bob sorely persecuted compelled to silence but steadfast now as at sheikh tabarsi and zanjan what destiny is concealed for you behind the veil of the future end of section 24 end of chapter 10 she rose recording by nicholas james bridgewater recorded in london england